Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Sixpack Nation. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 93. This week, we've got a very special interview with Father Robert Altier. Father Altier has been a priest since 1989 in St. Paul, Minnesota. He's lectured throughout the Twin Cities and is best known for his series on the fundamentals of Catholicism and for his devotion to the Eucharist and the Blessed Virgin Mary. He also has a weekly column in the Wander Catholic newspaper. Finally, he did a series on EWTN, the beauty, truth, and goodness of our Catholic faith. He's currently at the Church of St. Raphael in Crystal, Minnesota, as an associate pastor. If you like the three-part interview we did with Father James Altman, you'll find this interview equally satisfying. We'll be right back after this message. I usually promote one of my books here, but from now on until the election, I'm going to run this. I have absolutely no doubt that President Trump will win re-election in a landslide victory on November the 3rd. However, and I pray I'm wrong, on November 4th we'll see a level of violence that hasn't been seen in America since the Civil War in 1861. Certainly we need to pray for God's mercy and protection, but we must also prepare. I'm begging you to spend the month of October building up your food reserves. If I'm right about the violence, it may be weeks before you'll be able to shop for any essentials, especially food. Be cautious, stay safe, and pray a lot. Before we get to the actual interview, I have a really big announcement I think you'll love, as well as something that's very important. First, there's a link in my show notes to a video called Stolen Inheritance. I genuinely believe every Catholic in America needs to see this video. It's only 28 minutes long, and I believe it's vital to our continued existence as Catholics in America. Next, in previous episodes, I've been pretty hard on certain bad bishops, something you'll hear Father Altier talk about today. You'll also hear him tell us that this is the age of the laity, that it's going to be us who save the church. Giving you negatives all the time on bishops serves only one purpose, and that's to fuel your just, righteous indignation. More of that isn't what you need. You need hope. And even though it's the age of the laity, we still need priests and bishops to rally around. While the majority of bishops are either heretics or too cowardly to stand up for the truth, there are still a number of bishops who are loyal and faithful shepherds, both active and retired. The reason you've never heard of them is because they're doing what a bishop is supposed to do, shepherd their own flocks. They trot along quietly, feeding their sheep. They haven't yet begun to realize that while shepherding their flocks, they also need to use their offices to build a national platform to feed all those souls who aren't being fed. Therefore, I've begun seeking out these bishops and reaching out to them to begin a new segment called A Shepherd Speaks. It won't be a regular feature because it's difficult to reach them and even more difficult to get a chance to interview them. However, beginning in November, we'll begin our A Shepherd Speaks segment 
Our first guest will be Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. That should prove to be an exciting interview. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Bishop Strickland or any other bishop in these interviews, send them to me through the contact page of cantankerouscatholic.com. I'll try my best to ask them. Now let's get on to the reason you're listening today, and that's Father Altier's interview. Here it is. Father, it's good to have you back on the Cantankerous Catholic. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Joe? Oh, I'm just as happy as if I had good sense. <laughs> we, we wouldn't want that to happen, though. <laughs> I, I can tell you from some of the hate mail I've gotten uh, that most people these days doesn't seem they know how to think very clearly, so... Good, good sense would be uh, would be a nice thing to have. <laughs> well, it's I I don't know. My mother says I have no good sense. I don't know. <laughs> well, she she's known you all your life, so I guess she's yeah she's got to a to. yeah she's got a pretty good handle on it. Uh huh. Well, listen, Father, we're awfully glad to have you back on the Cantankerous Catholic, and I'd like to begin with the first question, if you're all right with that. Sure. Okay, Father, I have a hypothetical question for you as a pastor of a parish. Let's say you're speaking with a parishioner and he tells you he doesn't like President Trump because he thinks he's crass, crude, and not very presidential. He mentions that because he doesn't like Trump and Biden's a Catholic anyway, he's going to vote for Biden. What would you say to that parishioner? Well, there are a couple of things I think we need to say. First of all, as uh, Cardinal Burke uh, made clear back a little while ago, uh, Mr. Biden is not a Catholic in good standing, um, upholding things that are evil and contrary to the church, and consequently cannot vote for him. Uh, it's, uh, in fact, you know, it's not just about him. We have to make that a little bit bigger and say it is a mortal sin to vote for anyone in favor of something that, and, and so, so that's the thing, you know, it's, it's a matter of looking at the issues. You can look at it and say, okay, you know, I don't, I don't like the tweets. I don't like the attitude. I don't like this or that. But look at the issues. And beyond that, I would also point out that you are not required to number one vote for one of those two people. There are other people on the, on the ballot that you could vote for. Uh, number two, even if there weren't, you could still write somebody in. Uh, and, and so, so if you look at it and say, okay, I know I can't vote for this guy because of what he stands for, but I don't want to vote for this guy because I don't like him. Well, you know, first it's like, okay, is, is that really, how important is that? But okay, if you can't get over it, you can, you can write your mom's name in for all that matter if you want. <laughs> and, and so, so when, when we look at it some, and just again to, to clarify from a moral point of view, you know, some people would say, well, you have to take the lesser of two evils. Well, that would imply that you've got two people who are both upholding something that is evil, and those are the only choices. If you've got to choose one or the other, then you have to go with the lesser. Uh, and, and so in this case, that doesn't really follow, because you could write somebody, you could vote for somebody else. God is not going to hold you responsible for voting for the winner. He's going to hold you responsible for voting according to God's law and to our conscience. And so, again, to be very clear, and this I, I put into the uh, examination of conscience that I wrote, and for the mortal sins I wrote right in there, voting for someone who's pro-abortion, uh, but extend that out and say voting for someone who's in favor of something. And uh, and so that, if it's intrinsically evil, we are 
uh, ultimately giving you cooperation by voting for them. And and so so it's you just can't. It's that simple. I mean, if, like I said, if there are two people and both of them are upholding something, we'll say, you know, both of them are saying abortion is okay. Um, you have to choose one or the other. Then you have to look at the other issues and say which were lesser. But when we have more than one choice and one of them is, uh, you know, more than one there that is evil, cannot the Catholic vote for that person. Well, that's a very good answer, Father. And unfortunately, I'm afraid it might not have a lot of impact on most of these Catholics who are going to vote Democrat because it was recently came out, I think about March, uh, in an EWTN survey that now 52% of Catholics think that uh, abortion is okay. Of course, I blame that on the bishops for not having taught the faith for the last 50 years. I would take it a step further and say they aren't Catholics who would stand anymore. Uh, <laughs> I would too. <laughs> yeah, it's just that simple. I mean, and and that's one of the things, you know, there, there are a number of bishops now that are, and a lot of priests too, that are, that are playing this game of, you know, the seamless garment. All right. Life issues are equal. Right. That's not true. Even, I mean, to show that the, the situation, the Episcopal in the United States, the bishops actually got together out in Baltimore, I think it was, you know, for their last meeting, and they actually had to vote on whether or not abortion is, and one third of, but that tells you where things are at and why they're playing all these games, but in the church, again, let's just make it very clear. There are all kinds of life issues that are, you know, but number one, you have to have life before any other life issue matters. That's right. Uh, you know, so if we're going to be killing babies in the womb, you know, what difference does it make if we're going to... I, I was thinking about that the other day, and I thought, okay, if I were to say to you that, you know what, I will... Um, I, I it, it's, it's my intention. Give you a million dollars, a new house, and a new car, but you have to allow me to kill your kids, or at least one of them. It's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to take a million dollars for that, but that's so, so you know, people say, but look at all the other programs that this person is just saying. You know, it's so good. But if you're not alive, what good does their program do? And, and you know, and they're they're saying, I'll give you all this, but it's going to cost baby. It's like, no, we can't be doing that. And and so, so euthanasia is another intrigual. But if we're killing them in the womb, what difference does euthanasia make? Because they're never going to get there. You know, so so in the church, even though there are all these other Life issues and evils, there's only one for which it gets executed, and that is for direct participation in abortion. And, and so, so that's how the church, that there is this preeminent, the bishops thankfully did ultimately say this preeminent, uh, and, and so, so while they'd like to be able to say you can't be a single issue voter, and, and that's true, there are lots of issues, however, none more important than this one. Besides that, I would simply present the question of, can this person make good decisions about other things if they can't even make a good decision about life? Amen. That's a, Father, that's a very good analogy and great reasoning. Hopefully, there is, because there is a Roe v. Wade case headed toward the Supreme Court, hopefully, maybe with uh, Amy Coney Barrett on the court, we'll finally get to see it overturned. That would be a wonderful day. Yes, it would. Of course, you know, then it's up to the individual states. But I think most states would go ahead and outlaw abortion. I also want to clarify for our listeners that whenever you talked about the bishops 
not uh, <laughs> not actually being Catholic anymore. I know you didn't mean all the bishops. Well, there are not. Yeah, no, there. No, what, what I'm saying is, that if there's anybody that's upholding something in evil, they have put themselves outside the church. And there are certainly some doing that. But then we have great bishops like uh, Joseph Strickland and Tyler Texas and uh, uh, Bishop Tobin up there in uh, uh, Rhode Island. And, uh, you know, men like that, those are good men. We've got, we've got a number of very, very good bishops, and we've got some that are not so good, and then we've got a lot of in-between. And, and, and so, so, but, but yes, there are some very saintly bishops and priests right now, and certainly lots of very saintly lay people, but there are a lot of them that aren't at the same time, and so we'd be clear that just because someone's a, a priest or a bishop doesn't mean a saint. And, and so, <laughs> so we need to we'd be clear that sometimes they will say things that are wrong. That applies to converts, too. We're not saints, <laughs> just because we're converts. <laughs> Father, I I took a lot of heat for making the claim that the Democratic Party is aligned with the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple, even though I provided evidence. I told my listeners it logically follows, then, that voting Democrat is tantamount to being in league with the devil. Do you agree or disagree, and why? At this point, I would say that's true. You know, a lot of people, uh, and I've talked to over the years, I mean, they're, they're religious nuns and priests and so on that, that, that said, well, but my family has always voted Democrat. And it's like, yeah, but the Democrat party doesn't end for what it did. Your grandfather was voting for them. You know, they, they used to be about farmers and about the little guy, and that's no longer. And so all we can do again is say, and, and it's a general thing, you know. For me, I'm not I'm not Republican or Democrat. I, I look at who's running, I look at what they stand for, and I want to vote for the best person. Just because they're in this party or that party doesn't necessarily make them the best person. And so there are some people who call themselves Democrat that are pro-life and are in favor of the right thing. Okay, if that's the case, even though to say, well, it's part of the Democrat Party, but it is bucking what the party is standing for, you could vote for that individual for the right thing. Now, again, the Democrat Party as a party no longer for what it is. So if you look at the party platform, and you can look it up at, I think it's Democrat.org, you're mistaken. The party platform is there. They will lay it right out for you. It's all there. And there are several things there that are in evil. When Absolutely. God is not in, in favor of intrinsic evil. That only leaves one other side. And if that's what you're voting, uh, and, and even, you know, I, I you saw the story of uh, that attorney that, uh, that, that said, well, um, it's because of abortion and, and so on that my only choice was to become a member of the Satan because that is the best chance of keeping abortion going. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, uh, like, yeah, this is a scary thought. Yes, it is. I, in fact, whenever I exposed the Democratic Party as being aligned with the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple, I read 10 statements, and then I asked my listeners if they thought those were statements from the Democratic Party platform, and they weren't. They were statements from documents belonging to the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple that most of them were written before the Democratic Party ever took on these various issues. The Democratic Party actually quoted them, some of them verbatim, into their platform. So, you know, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that they're satanic. 
but uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's not it's not even that the individual is thinking that way. I mean, some might be, but you know, but some people may not be. But remember, back in in 2016, when they at their at their Democratic uh, National Convention, they voted God out and they cheered and. The person up at the at the podium said, "Well, wait, wait, wait. Let, let, let's try this again." And they did it again, and that was what it came back. They they wanted God out, and so so they willfully chose to escort God out of the Democratic Party. And so, if God is out, who's that leave? That's right. You know, I have never met a Democrat. At a, well, I can't say never. In the last ten years, I've never met a Democrat who's happy. Every one I've ever met is miserable. I think the reason for that is because they drove God off so many years ago. They did it officially four years ago. If you absolutely reject God, then you can't help but be miserable because the alternative is the one we've been talking about, and that's uh, that's Satan. So, and and the the fact of the matter is that you know not only. You know, is God the only way that we're going to be filled? But if we're going to try and fill ourselves with money or materialism or with worldly things or whatever it might be, it's going to be absolutely, absolutely. But the devil's right there to say, "But, but this is going to be fun. This is going to be pleasurable. This is going to be exciting." So we convince ourselves that this is what's going to be happy, and then we wind up being miserable, and we can't figure out why. Yeah, because it's not God. I saw a documentary on Saul Alinsky the other day from EWTN, and he had said they quoted him as saying that uh, uh, if he had a, if he thought there was an afterlife and he had a choice between heaven and hell, he would choose hell. Well, but if you look at his rules for radicals, he has actually three dedications in there, and the third dedication is to Satan. Oh, so really? He dedicated his book uh, to Lucifer, I guess is what he said, not Satan, but same thing, uh, and and said something, something to the effect of uh, he was the first radical, and, it, and he demonstrated that you can, can have a kingdom and be a radical or something to that effect. But the dedication of his book, Rules for Radicals, which, by the way, is exactly what, uh, if you look back over what happened with uh, the Obama administration, now if you look at what's going on with the rioting and all these sorts of things, this is taken right out of Radicals and right out of Marx as well. But, uh, but yeah, so if you want to look it up, Saul Linsky's Rule for Radicals, it's a small little book. I think it's 100 pages, but it's it's the outline of what it is that books are doing. And, you know, but look right at the first page of the dedication page. It's dedicated to... Frankly, Father, I've never read Rules for Radicals primarily because I've been afraid to. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a it's not a good read. You know, it's just like uh, in the computer industry, they say G-I-G-O, garbage yep. in, garbage out. Well, I have enough garbage going in <laughs> just from life around me, you know, so I don't see any sense in feeding into it. Although, that leads to the next question. Uh, I've read the entire Biden American Communist Manifesto. They don't call it that, but I most certainly do. Have you read it? I have not. Okay. Then uh, please tell me what you know about it and tell the six-pack nation whether you think they have a moral obligation to either read it or make themselves informed about its contents. Well, I think again, you know, we we have to we have to have a informed conscience. We have to vote 
uh, with informed conscience. Uh, and so it is imperative to know what people are standing for and what they're pushing. And, you know, when we look at, at some of the things that, that he's, that he's advocating, uh, again, they're coming right out of Karl Marx. And, uh, and, you know, the, the whole communist kind of system that, that, that's there, socialist anyway, it'll be communist, but, but the whole social system, uh, is, is what he's presenting. And, you know, I hope Pius the, uh, the 11th, uh, who said you cannot be a good Catholic and a true socialist. Um, they, they just don't, don't work together. And, and so, so again, you know, there's Biden likes to proclaim himself to be Catholic and he's upholding socialist ideas. He's upholding and say Malum, evil ideas. It's like, you can't be part of this. Absolutely. You know, I, I did an episode on socialism earlier this year where I showed that the church has always condemned socialism, even from the first century. Of course, they didn't condemn it by that name until right. it actually became uh, a term associated with the concept. You know, it's it's so sad that there's so many Catholics who are grasping this, and it's because they hear about this. I, I'm going. I'm going to get free this and free that and free. There's no such thing as free. <laughs> it's actually the one of the I don't remember which one it was, but one of the fathers of the nation, uh, when he was asked, you know, why did you republic instead of a democracy? He said, Because in a democracy what happens is that people begin voting for who will ever give them for free and, and it simply degrades to nothing. Uh and, and that's that's exactly what we see going on is that you know the selfishness of people rather than looking at the common good, it's what can I get for nothing? Absolutely. And, and that's just going to not only destroy your own dignity, but uh, but destroy the, the nation. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I want to shift gears a little bit here. This really doesn't have anything to do with the election directly, but I think indirectly it does because of stuff that started 50, 55 years ago. So the final question I have, like I said, doesn't have anything to do with the election, but rather what is perhaps the one thing that has destroyed the faith of Catholics more than anything else. There's a big difference between Vatican II and the so-called spirit of Vatican II. Because of the widespread confusion caused by the spirit of Vatican II, at least 99% of Catholics have no idea what the Council actually taught. Personally, I'm of the opinion that every Catholic has a moral obligation to actually read at least the major documents to find out for themselves, and I've repeatedly told this to the Six-Pack Nation. What's your opinion about this, Father? Well, I agree, and at the same time, I'll say that you can be a little bit careful with the translations, um, because the uh, the Flannery translation, one that's really obtained, has got some real problems. The Abbott translation is much, much better but hard to get a hold of these days. Um, but And the other thing to be careful of as you read this is to make sure that you're reading it with Catholic perspective, a Catholic mind, because the theologians took over, uh, kind of hijacked the, the, the council to some degree, and they, they wrote things in a manner that was very vague. And they did that on purpose so that if you're reading it with a Catholic mind, you're going to be able to understand it one way. But if you want the church, it's vague enough to be able to say, well, this fits under that big vague umbrella, too. And and so that's what they've been able to do now over years is to take some of those vague statements, misuse them. Uh, and and so so I think, I think as you said, it, it is necessary to know what the council taught uh, and, 
understand, too, that the Second Vatican Council, the Pastoral Council, is not a dogmatic council. There's not a single thing in the document of the Second Vatican Council that they made infallible, that they tried to, uh, uh, that was that was infallible. And the other councils are all there, the different ones, and, and they would say things like, if anybody says this, anathema sit, you know, you're cursed. But the Second Vatican Council, there was none of that, not a single one, because it was just trying to upgrade the, whatever you want to say, we would say, bring the modern world uh, and, and deal with that. And so, so it's a pastoral council. How do we how do we deal with this? We're finding because you know, quite honestly, again, people who've been alive for the last hundred years have seen more change in their lifetime than in all of them combined. That's part of what the church was looking at. It's like, wait a minute, these things that have always been there are suddenly taken away. We need to deal with this in a pastoral way. How do we handle this? And and so, but then what happened? I can tell you this from when I was in the seminary. So we went through you know, four years of seminary. I read one document. Oh my word! For class, I mean, I read all the documents, but as far as what was being assigned, we read one document, and that was the document, the Averbum Scripture. Uh, other than that. Everything was about Vatican II. You know, this is what Vatican II said. This is what Vatican II wants. This is what Vatican II says. Where does it say that? Well, it's the spirit <laughs> of Vatican II. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, no, 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 no. You show me where it says this in the document. But if you look at that, this is the exact same mindset that's been going on in America, A3. You know, when the Supreme Court said, well, abortion in the Constitution, it's in the penumbra. It's like the penumbra. <laughs> so understand the word umbra in Latin means a shadow. So right. the penumbra means just beyond or just outside, next to the shadow. It's like so. It's not in the constitution. It's not even in the shadow of the constitution. It's just right next to the where the shadow is. It's like where did this come from? But that's the same concept of spirit of Vatican II. It's not in Vatican II. It's just kind of you know related somehow. You know we we decided this, <laughs> and and that's where. What I would tell people, like in the classes that I teach, I say, look, if there's a priest who says something that just doesn't sound right, ask him where it says that. Because exactly. the beautiful things about being Catholic is everything's written down. Where does it say that? You know, so, so one of the people came back one day and said, you know, remember you told us about this? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, so I asked the priest after Mass, where does it say that? He said, well, it's in the Vatican II document. And he said, oh, really? Which one? Show me where that is. Well, it's really not in the Vatican II document. It's in canon law. It's like, oh, really? Okay, show me in canon law where no, it's not really in canon law. And it's like, well, where is it? Well, I, it's like, so he was pushing something, but he was going to tell people that's from Vatican II. And it's like, so we need to know what's in those documents so that we can say to people, no, that is not what the Vatican Council asked for. Or this is, as the case might be, because otherwise the spirit of Vatican is something that is fraudulent. And uh, to rationalize our way out of anything and into anything, because it's the spirit of Vatican II, so it's okay to do this. And we have to be, that's just not true. Some people would disagree with you about the council not have not being dogmatic, and I think it's because they confuse the fact that there are two documents that are called dogmatic in their very right. title. But I've always viewed that those are more or less the completion of Vatican I because Vatican I was interrupted by the Italian Revolution. Right. But even there, the way that they're, even though it's called the dogmatic you know, constitution on the liturgy or whatever, is not attempting to make any infallible statement about it. True. 
And so, so dogmatic simply implies the, 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 the way that it's presented, the dogmatic presentation as opposed to a pastoral present or something like that. So, so it's, so you're, you're correct in what you're seeing is, yes, it's picking up from where Vatican I left off. But even if you look at Vatican I, there are canons that are there, you know, that, that, that it defines the infallibility of the Pope. And if anyone says that the, that the Bishop of Rome is not infallible, let him be anathema. Let him be anathema. And, and so even in those dogmatic documents, uh, constant and such of Vatican II, there is nothing like that at all. And in fact, the Pope made very clear, Pope Paul, that, that, you know, that there are no infallible statements. I mean, there are lots of things in the documents that are infallible, but not stated infallible things. So the things the Church has taught before that are infallible, infallible. But in this case, there's nothing that was, that was dogmatically defined. Very true. Uh, you know, Father, you're a great teacher, and so I'm just going to throw this out there. I think the people would greatly benefit, and I'm sure Six Pack Nation would agree, uh, I think the people would greatly benefit from a course, maybe, that you could author regarding uh, Vatican II. I mean, I, you know, I honestly think it would help to relieve a lot of confusion. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, and yeah, that, that's, a, that's a possibility. What is out there right now, if somebody wants it, I, there, there's a course that I teach on, on the fundamentals of Catholicism. Um, they've been playing it on EWN for the last years, but you can get it through Catholic Parents Online. It's 60 half-hour program, uh, and, and so it, uh, it's, it's all on DVD, or I think now they can download lives, whatever they call that now. Um, but, but anyway, those, those are all there. Um, and it goes through the, the basics of the faith, not through Vatican per se, um, but but here's what is Catholics, and it's uh, it's the the general basics that we Catholic ought to have, and uh, a lot of information that comes awful fast, but but it's uh, pretty solid stuff. Yeah, you know, I've personally I have gotten to the point that I really trust almost no one in the hierarchy, uh, or that really works for the hierarchy. That. Right. The and, and it all started for me. Uh, I knew Father John Harden. He was a friend of mine, and he and I were uh, communicating by le- by mail. And uh, I I think this was before email. It was all snail mail then. But we were communicating about a particular topic. I learned so much from him. He's brilliant man. Yes, he was. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church had come out in French, of course, and uh, it had to be translated, I think, to Latin and then to English. And John Paul II had called Father Hardin home to Rome, and he told him, he said, they are trying to sabotage the Catechism. I need someone I can trust on the translation thing. So he had to go to Rome at that time in order to help translate the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and I have been bothered by the hierarchy and those who work directly for the hierarchy ever since. Well, and if you remember back then, when they did finally come out with the with the, uh, the Catechism in English, yeah, they said, oh, this isn't for forever. This is, this is for the bishops. Like, really? <laughs> the bishops need a remedial catechism? You know, that's a pretty sad statement, but, <laughs> yeah. but that's... But they, they actually didn't want the people getting their hands on it. It was just, it's like, wait a minute, what is going on here? And, but that was, yeah, they, they fought it because they, they just didn't want people knowing what the truth 
Yeah, in fact, I remember they were saying it was for bishops and theologians, and lay people didn't need to look at it. We, you know, just need to depend on them. Well, we've, we've been depending on the bishops for 50-some years, and they've done nothing but betray us. Well, so form laity is, uh, you know, not only is that a great thing for the church, but it's a scary thing for people who are in power and uh, and not to, not to serve. If they're being good shepherds, they want their their flock to be well formed, but if they if they want to be selfish, you know, they don't want an informed laity. Yeah, the informed laity to the hierarchy, generally speaking, is like the Second Amendment to the Democrats. That's they're right. scared to death of it. Yep. And uh, uh, because you know that's something I noticed whenever Father Altman began having his problems, there was suddenly a, a, an uprising among the laity, like they were saying, you know, we've had it with this, and we're not taking it anymore. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way Trump has uh, kind of energized the people. Consequently, uh, the six-pack nation seems to be building into an army, uh, army, an army, uh, kind of an irresistible force, and I'm really hoping that, you know, through things like interviews with you and some of the content that I cover, that, uh, and I, I don't cut bishops any slack. I do good stuff on good bishops. I let bad bishops have it between the eyes. The, uh, uh, but I think the people have just said, I've got, I've had enough. And the six pack nation is building into an army for Christ that, well, you know, Bishop Sheen said that, uh, it would be us who change, who saved the church. So, you know. And, and praise God, that's what's going on, because this is, this is the time of the laity. We need to be clear about that. I mean, yes, we some bishops, it's the time of the laity. Our lady is doing some, some great work for children that are going to be raised up and the lady to save the church. Absolutely. And, uh, that requires that, that we have to be informed. And what I see going on, you know, I think when people heard what Father Altman had to say, they said, that's true. Yes. So truth. And, you know, Jesus said, you will know the truth. The truth will set you for made for the truth. And, and when people heard the truth, they reacted to it. And they said, you know, we've been getting fed with, uh, with mush, you know, for years. This guy said, you know, there, there was, there was solid food, you know, and, and they liked it. And, and I think that's what's going on. So programs like yours and, and others like it, people like Father Altman and, and those who are willing to stand up for the it, you know, yeah, there there will always be people opposing it, uh, but there are people that are being set free by it because they've been either lied to or the truth has been watered down in so many places that people have just gotten used to mush. Now, all of a sudden, there's something they can sink their teeth into. They're liking it. Exactly. So. You know, uh, I've seen a definite movement of the Holy Spirit here in recent months. Uh, probably, in fact, in my case, probably... Uh, uh, three and a half, four months ago, <laughs> I, I had about 40 listeners. <laughs> that was, that was all my audience was. Now we're in the, now, now we're in the tens of thousands. Oh, praise God. And I haven't spent a dime to market it because I haven't had a dime. I'm a poor man. But, you know, it tells me that the people are just really hungry for things and they want to grab on and go run with it. You know, what I'm especially thankful for is that my average listener is between 18 and 34, 53% male. And that's 
what we're lacking most in the church among the laity right now. Right. And, and we need, what we really need more than anything is men. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you for that, Father. That's the hope that we have is, you know, if, if men will stand up and be men, you know, things will, things will come back into order. But we've got everything backwards. We've got women trying to be men and men trying to be women and it's gross and nobody's happy about it. It's, it's time to, it's time to stand up and say, no, I'm, I'm a Catholic man and, and we need to, we need to be men. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did a episode on toxic masculinity. Father, I'm a toxic male, and I think every man should take it as a compliment when he's told that. Well, yeah, they mean it that way, absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, Father, was, is is there anything that you'd like to say to the six-pack nation on a whole? Well, I think the main thing is uh, is maintain your prayer. And, and when we, like you said, what we're talking to primarily is men, we have... Our Lord Jesus, he showed us what it means. He did not back down when it came to the truth. He was willing to die for them. And we have St. John the Baptist who spoke up. He didn't, he didn't back down. He died. And we have all these saints that have, that have lived and are there. Again, it's, I remember in a seminary, there was a professor who at one time said, be a priest, but I would extend that out to the lay people as well. To be a priest is a Christian gentleman in every sense of both of those words. Amen. So we don't need macho guys, we need men, gentle men. Amen. Men, and they have to be Christian gentlemen, Catholic gentlemen. So we need to be rooted in the truth, be clear, and to stand for that truth, and to do what men are supposed to do, not only provide, but protect. And there are lots of people that get upset if you you talk about protecting and so on, but that's what we're supposed to do. And not because women are strong enough by themselves, but because for a woman to be the wife and mother that be vulnerable, be vulnerable. She, otherwise, she has to do the protecting. Be vulnerable. Amen. So it's incumbent on us as men do our part and uh, and be able to to stand up and say a man is head of the household, decisive, a man be clear, a man protective, and that's again when we look at Jesus, the good shepherd. That's exactly what the shepherd who will lay down his life and will not back down. And so. So I can only encourage your listener again, just really be in prayer, be united with Jesus, and as you become more and more conformed to Jesus, you will also then become more and more conformed to who God created Catholic. Amen. And I would add to that, Father, since at least 95% of Catholics don't know the faith, that they should learn the faith and learn it well, because you can't practice what you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. So, so uh, yep, and there, there are some, some good Good things, the catechism, you know, and, and but good courses and things that people can take or, or you know look at online or whatever it may be, and and learn the faith. Absolutely, Father. Before we let you go, would you please give the Six Pack Nation your blessing? Absolutely, commending all of you to the heart of the Sacred Heart Intercession and Joseph, protection of Saint Michael, the guidance of your guardian intercession, your patron saints, and the blessing of Almighty God the Father. The Son of God upon you. Amen. Thank you, Father. You know, I really appreciate you being here to talk to the Six Pack Nation, and I look so forward to having you with us again in the near future. Well, God bless you. Thanks so much, Joe. Okay. Thanks a lot, Father. Uh-huh. We'll we'll talk to you again. We'll look forward to that. Okay, Six Pack Nation. In several ways, Father's given us instructions and our marching orders. We'll be having Father Altier back in November, and I hope you tune in to hear him again then. 
In the meantime, go to cantankerouscatholic.com and leave your comments about this episode in my show notes. The whole reason this apostolate exists is for you, for the sake of your souls. I not only do the Cantankerous Catholic podcast, but I also offer a free email course through joe6packanswers.com and offer a free webinar series called Sharing the Catholic Faith. I do everything I can for the benefit of souls, reaching out to both practicing Catholics, lapsed Catholics, and non-Catholics. As Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke told me, you receive the faith freely, share it with others freely. So I work alone and I do everything I can afford to do without cost to you. Until the lockdowns, I almost always earned enough revenues to cover expenses, and that's all I've ever cared about. Since the China virus lockdowns, I've had to face some pretty tough financial realities. During the lockdowns, my revenues were decimated, and I've had to pay expenses out of my pocket. Mrs. Sixpack and I live solely on our Social Security, which is very little. Paying monthly expenses out of pocket means doing without personal necessities, but we're committed to reaching souls. So it would be a great help if you'd help us meet our expenses. Therefore, I've decided that every January, April, July, and October, I'm going to ask you to help me help souls. In my show notes in the podcast player and at cantankerouscatholic.com, you'll find a link under the resources heading that reads, Help Keep Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy Apostolate, Alive. Please click on that link to give to the apostolate, and please check the box to make it a recurring gift if you can. The gift page will say Catholic Media LLC. And I thank you in advance for your generosity. Oh, and be assured that you'll be remembered in my daily hour of reparation and rosary. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Catholic World Report. The Diocese of Brooklyn is suing the state of New York over a new order that restricts some indoor masses in New York City to just 10 people. Let the fight begin! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic news pick number four. Hats off to the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph. Bishop James Johnston issued a pastoral letter to the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, urging Catholics to back candidates who will, quote, protect the right to life, end quote. Bishop Johnston stated, quote, I encourage you to study prayerfully the political platforms of the parties. Each party clearly states their position on critical life issues such as abortion, destructive research on human embryos, euthanasia and assisted suicide, and the appointment of judges and Supreme Court justices and conscience rights, end quote. That's what I'm talking about. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to the Daily Wire. 
President Trump announced that he will be moving to immediately overturn an order that was reportedly given to change the official ethos and creed statements of the U.S. Navy SEALs and Navy Special Warfare combatant craft crewmen to remove certain words in order to make it gender neutral. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to Breitbart News. Whether Donald Trump is re-elected or ousted as President of the United States will have a generational impact on whether America or China is the dominant power on the world stage, Cardinal Gerhard Mueller told Breitbart News in an interview. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to National Catholic Register. As California continues a 12-person limit on outdoor mass attendance due to the coronavirus, the Archbishop of San Francisco expands his reach, making a very special day for Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity. I like that! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholicism 101 is the segment where Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, gives you little thumbnail lessons to help you better learn and understand the Catholic faith. Here's this week's Catholicism 101. God exists as a triune being. He's one and the same God in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons are one yet distinct. Time, space, and dimension are boundaries of nature established for nature by the supernature, God. Therefore, he's not bound by those boundaries, but rather imposes them on us as a result of original sin. Because he's not bound by time, space, and dimension, he experiences everything in the present. You and I can recall what happened a moment ago, anticipate what may happen a moment from now, and experience the present in, well the present. (laughs) For God, though, he experiences everything from the creation of the universe to the end of the universe, all in the present. That's an interesting and perhaps even a mind-boggling concept, requiring some contemplation on our part to realize the full ramifications of it all, so we'll make a practical application of it now to help drive home the point. Because Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, even while on earth he knew all things. He knew them all in the present. While on the cross he saw all the saints of the future, for example St. Francis, St. Anthony, St. Teresa, etc., and all the evil of mankind, such as abortion, godless communism, Hitler, etc., all at the same time. As God, he saw these things and more, but as man, his suffering on the cross was increased by the future evils, while future good actually eased his suffering. Evil, which is anything contrary to the holy will of God, no matter how small, increases Christ's suffering on Calvary, and it's worthy of punishment by him. Evil we commit is tantamount to spitting on Christ or ridiculing him on the cross, but we see from the gospel accounts that goodness is a consolation to him on the cross, the good thief and his mother's comforting presence. When we do good and avoid evil, we join the Blessed Virgin Mary in consoling Christ on the cross. When we commit evil, we join his tormentors at the foot of the cross, and even Satan, to make his suffering worse. 
The Eucharist is the very heart of our holy and ancient faith. It's for this reason that Holy Mother Church, Christ's arbiter on earth, has established certain norms pertaining to our participation in the Mass, communion, and adoration. These norms fall under both rules and moral teachings. This Catholicism 101 will be the first to examine what we do, what we fail to do, and what we should do when it comes to Mass and the Eucharist. Let's begin with attire. If you had an audience with the Holy Father, how would you dress? Would you go dress for a picnic, or would you wear your best? Unless you're a person who lacks complete respect for yourself or the Holy Father, you'd wear your best to such an audience, of course. You wouldn't wear formal wear, such as a tuxedo or an evening gown, but neither would you wear blue jeans and a t-shirt or shorts and a halter top. You'd dress for the occasion. The Holy Father is merely a man, a very special man by all means chosen by the Holy Spirit through the College of Cardinals to lead his church on earth, but a man nonetheless. If we would dress appropriately for an audience with the Holy Father, where do we get off dressing like we're going to a picnic for the God of all creation at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass? Go to St. Peter's at the Vatican or try getting in dressed like that. The Swiss guard will stop you and direct you to a room where you can borrow appropriate attire for your visit. Why? Because you're making a visit to a home of the infinite incarnate Word of God. Many people have told me they don't dress up for Mass because they don't want to make the poor feel uncomfortable. That's a pitiful and invalid excuse. We don't go to Mass for the poor. We don't go to Mass to be with people. We don't go to Mass to have a social gathering. We go to Mass to worship our Creator, the one true living and omnipotent God. A reality we all need to face about the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is the only purpose for going to Mass is to obey God's command that we worship Him as He desires. Read the Old Testament sometime. God very specifically told Moses how He wanted to be worshipped under the Old Covenant. Jesus told his apostles how he wants to be worshipped under the new covenant, and he left Holy Mother Church to set the standards for our participation in that worship. The church's standard is set by demanding appropriate attire, a demand we pay little, if any, attention to here in modern America. Let's take it a step further. The sixth commandment says you shall not commit adultery. That commandment implies many other things, though, and the church is the authoritative voice for those teachings. The sixth commandment actually deals with adultery, fornication, contraception, homosexual activity, prostitution, premarital sex, masturbation, pornography, and all forms of immodest behavior, impurity, and everything that leads to impurity. The Sixth Commandment applies to sexual activities, but the Ninth Commandment applies to all sexual temptations and imaginings. Now, I'm sorry if you'll be offended by this, but what we look at next applies directly to women and indirectly to men. Ladies, when you come to Holy Mass looking like you were poured into your pants, usually jeans, and wearing halter tops or spaghetti straps, short skirts and short pants, you are dead wrong. Not only are you being immodest in your dress, but you serve to be a temptation to men, a temptation that can send both the wearer and the looker to eternity in hell. Well, the nerve of that Joe Sixpack. I have a right to wear whatever I want. 
No, ladies, you don't. One of the problems with Americans is that we've become confused about what our rights are. Archbishop Fulton Sheen taught rightly that there is a difference between liberty and license. License is doing as we want. Liberty is doing as we ought. Just because I want to do a thing doesn't mean it's my right, regardless of what some judge says. He's not the final judge. God is the final judge. And God says that doing what I ought, what I'm supposed to do, is liberty. So I have a right to do what I'm supposed to do, not what I want to do. We live in a sex-saturated society, but we Catholics are obligated to set the example. No doubt this Catholicism 101 has ruffled a few feathers, but I hope it motivates some discussion on the topic of proper dress for Holy Mass, and daily life for that matter. Tired of false or confusing doctrine? Want to learn or teach the Catholic faith of our fathers without dilution or compromise? Then it's time for Tradivox. Tradivox is a Catholic nonprofit working with Bishop Athanasius Schneider to restore the perennial catechism of the Catholic Church. Scores of official catechisms from across the last millennium are being harnessed in an amazing new platform for teaching the faith today. Learn more and support this much-needed project at www.tradivox.com. Tradivox, giving voice to tradition. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from Mother Teresa. She said, It is a poverty to decide that a child must die so that you may live as you wish. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. When Jesus was just a little boy, his blessed mother took the greatest care of him. There's a legend that every night when Our Lady put the Holy Child to bed, she'd place his clean clothes and spotless sandals beside his cot. One morning, she was puzzled to find his sandals and the hem of his robe dusty and spotted with mud. This happened several times, so the Blessed Mother decided to watch. The next night, she saw little Jesus rise from his bed, put on his clothes, take a candle, and start down the road that went past their cottage. All night long, he walked the highways of the world and looked for souls. From house to house, he went seeking men's hearts, searching for souls. At dawn, his candle still flickering, he returned wearily to bed, his sandals dusty and his heart heavy because so many men had forgotten God. Jesus still lives with us in his little tabernacle home. He searches for souls to love him, but most pay little attention to him. Till the end of the world, which may be soon, he'll go about seeking souls, drawing them by the power of his grace. Never refuse him your love, because as your Savior he deserves it, and you owe it to him. Help your fellow Catholic six-packers. 
They need to be listening to The Cantankerous Catholic, and you can help them find it better if you leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Leaving a review will make it easier for other Catholics to find The Cantankerous Catholic, because reviews cause the podcasting platforms to show it more often. And I thank you in advance for leaving a review. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It. 